Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, April 15th. We begin with our weekly Ask the Doctor series focusing on COVID-19. We get answers to your questions from Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Next, we're joined by Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. The chief tells us how the pandemic has affected our crime rate in the city and what protocols officers are using to keep safe while keeping citizens safe. Then we get a coronavirus update south of the border. Reggie Giacchini, Washington correspondent for Global News, joins us with the latest, including the announcement by President Donald Trump that the U.S. has pulled funding for the World Health Organization. And finally, pressure to isolate at home is creating issues around domestic violence. We find out why community is more important than ever in times like these. 8-11 now, we've been getting calls, texts, emails, asking for answers to COVID-19 questions. So every Wednesday, we bring in our expert to help us out. Joining us this morning, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C, Dr. Craig Janney. Good morning. Thanks again for joining us, Dr. Janney. Happy to be here. Okay, lots of questions well. once again for you. <laughs> Some of them may be repeaters, but we, uh, you know, everybody's still asking the same questions. So we'll start off with this one. Um, do we know if people who have died from COVID-19 had a flu shot or not? This texter is wondering if those who get a flu shot are faring any better than others. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that information, but right now there's no reason at all to associate the flu with the coronavirus. They're two completely different things, and any protection to flu is not going to impact your response to the coronavirus, unfortunately. Next question. Should contact lens wearers switch to glasses during the pandemic with you putting your fingers in your eye? I haven't seen any uh, detailed information with that, other than we do know that the more often you touch your face, especially your eyes, nose and mouth, the more likely you are to get infected. So one way to deal with this, if you want to continue wearing your contacts, is just make sure you wash your hands well before putting them in or taking them out, and and you'll be protected. But it's a great question, and and if there's an opportunity to switch to glasses, it doesn't hurt. Okay, this texter this morning asking, what is the gold standard for testing? Is it the nasal swab or the throat swab? They've heard the throat gives false negatives. Yeah, so it's not quite that simple because there are actually a number of different tests for both types of swabs, different uh, actual chemistry for them. So right now the gold standard that we're using in Alberta is the nasal swab, although there are throat swabs with different chemistry that can be just as reliable. So it really depends on the individual test, but here in Alberta we are sticking with the, the nasal swab as our front line. Here's one. Uh, the idea that you should infect yourself to, quote unquote, get over with it, uh, get it over with rather, is totally wrong according to most epidemiologists. What are your thoughts? I, I would agree with that. So that, that is absolutely the wrong thing to do uh, and, and very dangerous. Unfortunately, we still cannot predict who's going to have a very adverse reaction. We have seen young, healthy people, NHLers, for example, die of this virus. And even if you don't die or, or get severely sick, you will be spreading that virus among the community and potentially two other people who will die from the virus. So absolutely not avoid infection at all costs if possible. Dr. Janney, are recovered COVID-19 patients testing positive again? Are we hearing anything about that? Yes, there have been a couple stories on this, and the data is still not clear because we cannot be sure that those recovered patients ever completely got rid of the virus. It may have dropped to an undetectable level and then came back or resurged. So really, we're not going to have a clear answer on that until several months out when we know that there's a substantial gap between recovery, clinical recovery, and reinfection. So right now, the, the data is just not clear as to whether you can be reinfected or not. 
Here's a timely one since people are wearing more masks out in public. Does putting your cloth face mask in the dryer for 30 minutes kill off the virus? That would have to be probably a pretty hot dryer to do that. Uh, the, the simplest thing is just soap and water. I mean, this virus is so susceptible to, to soap. If you throw a cloth face mask in the washing machine, uh, it's going to come out awfully clean. Okay. Some people are saying they're sure they had the coronavirus way before we started to hear about it. Is that possible? It is possible. We don't know how much community level of asymptomatic spread there was really before the hotspots popped up. It's unlikely there was, importantly, uh, two flu strains circulating in Calgary at the same time, and the symptoms are very similar. Unfortunately, one of those flu strains was a poor match for the flu shot this year, so even if you had the shot, that's no reason to rule out that early on it may have been influenza and not coronavirus. Here's one is heavier breathing done by joggers or others exercising more COVID-19 risky to be near compared to other persons walking at a normal pace or, or standing still. Yeah, so there actually have been a couple studies on this thing. If you're jogging behind somebody who's infected, there's a higher risk of infection because of that. They mm. are shedding more more particles into the air around them. And the simple instructions were just, you know, stay a little further than two meters away from them. Um, but it's a great question. And yes, if people are, are, are breathing heavy, it's similar to coughing. The more air you're moving out, the more likely you are to be putting viral particles into the environment around you. Okay, good, because I hold my breath when I walk past anyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> is this one true? Uh, the coronavirus, can it stick to my shoes? Uh, yeah, well, it can technically stick to anywhere. The, the catch is in order to get infected, that somehow has to get from your shoes into your eyes, nose, or mouth. <laughs> so if you're not licking your shoes, you <laughs> should be okay. Dr. Janney, here's a, one that came uh, while well, we had it last week too, but it's still on people's minds. And also I have a caveat to this question because we've heard um, as recently as the past couple of days that the coronavirus on cardboard, for example, has about a 24-hour lifespan. Maybe you can uh, clear that up for us. Uh, but do I need to watch my groceries or parcels bringing them into the home yeah this is a common question and it's an important question so the virus does live for periods of time on some surfaces so paper cardboard yes about 24 hours uh steel metal plastic can live a little longer up to three days so if you're bringing stuff home if you can let it sit for two or three days the virus will be dead before you handle it if there's material you need to use right away unpackage it just throw away the wrapper throw away the cardboard and then wash your hands the the, the food inside or products inside are likely to be not contaminated and also cooking completely destroys the virus so if you're bringing something home take out food for example reheat it get rid of the outside package put it on your own plates wash your hands and then enjoy uh, dr janey want to get to this because uh, there's a few people texting in about temperatures so what temperature will kill covid19 some saying they've heard it'll survive in a freezer up to two years some asking can i microwave my face mask yeah, so the, the problem with temperature is you have to actually be pretty precise. So it, it can be destroyed by elevated temperatures, but you can't guarantee, for example, if you microwave a face mask, that all parts of that mask reach the same temperature. The middle might get hot enough, but the edges may not. So things like a face mask, it's far simpler to wash that with a detergent. We know the virus is very susceptible to, a, to most soaps or all soaps tested so far, and that's the best way to guarantee you're getting it clean. Timely question is, it's going to warm up this weekend. It looks like some more warm temperatures with us for the next little while. Mosquitoes. Could a mosquito give me coronavirus? 
thankfully in Canada, there is zero evidence that this can survive in a mosquito, let alone get passed along. So this is not a mosquito-borne virus. Uh, so those of us that, that like to be outside uh, are safe, at least from this bug and mosquitoes. Do you know, doctor, when we're supposed to be sort of at the height of things uh, in terms of, you know, cases and that sort that we've been hearing from health officials? Yeah, that that is uh, a moving target. So right now we, we're probably getting close to that peak, although that's not to say that if we change any of our behavior, the number of infections is also going to change. So, for example, if social distancing is eased, we may then see a, a, a second spike or an elevated spike. Uh, that number is moving based on our day-to-day activities as well as, unfortunately, uh, activities of other countries. So there's a risk that if we open borders back up, we can get a second spike here in Alberta. So really tough to say when the peak would actually be. You talked about reheating your food. So we talked about the heat and the cooking killing it. The other one is uh, I've heard that uh, the coronavirus can live for two years in a deep freeze. Is that true? Uh, So I've not seen those studies yet. I know when we store viruses in the laboratory, we store them below minus 80 degrees Celsius. So far, far, far colder than your conventional household freezer, which is somewhere around minus 20. We know that when we do store pathogens at minus 20, they do break down much faster than the deep, deep freeze. So I don't know specifically with coronavirus how long it lasts, but again, everything in the freezer is wrapped. Just give the outside a quick wipe down if you're at all concerned and wash your hands before eating whatever was inside that container. You'll be fine. Doctor, last quick question. Have we seen any natural immunity to this new coronavirus as of yet? We're learning about this. So we do see, for example, people have evidence of immunity or or molecules in their blood that say they recognize the coronavirus. What is critical with this, this is based, uh, this is the premise of antibody testing that that we'll start to see employed uh, in Canada in the very near future. We don't yet know if these antibodies are protective. So they say your immune system recognized it. It says your body fought it off, but we don't know if your body then can completely prevent a second infection. And we're learning about that as the cases uh, progress after resolution. So hopefully we'll have some information soon. Dr. Janney, thank you so much for your time. We uh, truly appreciate it during this time with many, many questions. Happy to chat. Take care, guys. Stay safe. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. 709 on the morning news. Uh, Calgary Police Chief Mark Neufeld joining us now for his regular discussion on crime with a focus this month on how COVID-19 is affecting police officers and law enforcement in our city. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, Andrew and Sue. I'm wondering if if we can highlight something because we're seeing a lot on social media about people complaining about getting speeding tickets (laughs) still during this time of financial hardship and during the pandemic. Can you uh, let us know whether or not we should be abiding by the same rules we did even a few short weeks ago? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a that's a really good question, and I have seen some things circulating too. But um, of course, you know, our job we're the only agency that enforces uh, traffic safety uh, in the city here, and uh, it's springtime. And typically, when spring comes, you know, what notwithstanding COVID nineteen, we do see increases in the speeds like this. And so, notwithstanding everything that's going on, we continue to investigate collisions where there's injuries and and the odd death as well. Um, where we're seeing speed, we're seeing uh, people in intersections against the lights, and we're also seeing uh, alcohol and drugs being a factor. And so we've not let up on dangerous behavior out there. And, and as you mentioned on social media, you would have seen some very, very significant speeds. Um, so with the roads quieter, because there's less traffic on them, some people are taking advantage of that. And it's no less dangerous uh, now to do those things than it was uh, prior to the pandemic. So we are still on it. 
weird. We have to follow the laws even during a pandemic. <laughs> How strange. Yeah. Uh, Chief, I want to ask you about uh, one officer so far that we have been told about that has tested positive for COVID. Just the one officer. That's actually pretty good in terms of numbers. Yeah, it is. Uh, so we're sitting right now with about uh, 40 people probably impacted uh, directly or indirectly with that one uh, positive test that you're talking about, and that came on the weekend. And so I credit uh, the good work done by uh, officers on the front lines and, and folks actually in their in their uh, daily lives um, following the public health orders for actually delaying the arrival. We knew that uh, that was going to happen. It wasn't a question of if, it was just a question of when. And uh, yes, and as of this morning, uh, that officer is uh, in self-isolation and doing well. And uh, yeah, our numbers relative to other agencies are actually quite good. Mm -hmm. Chief, uh, social distancing, for example, if you uh, work in an accounting firm, that's one thing. But Policing uh, seems to be a real team sport to a certain extent, and we see a lot of them in the past we have with partners as well. And the nature is these folks are dealing with people. So I'm wondering what additional protocols have been put in place over the past few weeks. Yeah, Andrew, you talked about the partners, and that's an interesting thing. You know, some agencies have gone to single vehicle patrols um, to limit the uh, that contact, but we don't have enough vehicles to do that in the city uh, the size of ours, uh, and there's some safety issues around that too. And I think it just highlights in policing that not every risk um, can be completely eliminated. We mitigate uh, where we can. Um, we actually keep partners, to your point about what we're doing. We kind of keep steady partners so folks are not um, exposed to different people. You know, every shift you're working with the same people. Um, I think the big thing is, you know, we're following the public health orders that uh, that have been issued and then translating uh, those orders into everyday business. And so if that means doing a bit more screening prior to attending calls, that would look like um, attending or, or managing certain calls over the phone as opposed to coming in person. It might be that when you go to a call, you ask folks to come outside so that you can maintain the appropriate distance if the space is tight. And so, like I say, just applying a real common sense lens around those things that we've been told to do, wiping surfaces, and, and we've actually increased cleaning uh, of, you know, of uh, our facilities there to try, to try to take care of that piece of it. And so, again, I think we've applied a real common sense uh, lens to this, and, and so far it's been working out okay. Chief, what are your officers seeing out on the streets? Are, are there any specific issues related to COVID-19, any different crime trends that are prop popping up? Yes, yeah, so as you can imagine, with uh, everybody's daily lives and routine activities kind of being turned on their head, um, that's certainly changed the, the pattern of what people are doing. And so we're watching that very closely. So overall, actually, calls for service are down for us by probably around 18%. Um, thus far. But the types of calls that we're seeing are changing a little bit too, as you would expect. So, you know, there's been a lot of uh, discussion around uh, the, the domestic violence piece. Mm -hmm. We've not actually, we're watching that very closely because we have seen that manifest in other uh, jurisdictions and countries where um, the pandemic has gone through. We've not seen an increase actually in domestic violence in Calgary. We have though seen an increase in calls um, related to domestic situations. So folks looking for information around custody orders and how to uh, deal with that in the COVID-19 world, uh, standbys to prevent breach of the peace, these types of things. Um, so a lot of times we're going and doing, uh, you know, giving information and, and reassurance and that sort of thing. But perhaps people are, uh, you know, calling uh, before things are getting out of hand and, and getting to violence. Or it's also possible that people aren't able to make that call. Um, we don't know exactly the reason why. We just know what the numbers are right now. And uh, so we, we certainly hope that's a good thing. But we're going to continue to be on top of that here as we move forward. Chief, there was a story uh, earlier this week or through the past weekend of an Ontario uh, gentleman with his uh, three sons rollerblading and he received a ticket for $880 for uh, not following the co compliance for social distancing. I'm wondering, has the Calgary Police Service 
had to uh, attend calls when it comes to social distancing, parties or gatherings larger than has uh, been indicated by the protocols? Yeah, so we probably on average right now are receiving about 10 calls a day. And as you may know, um, those complaints tend to go through public health first. And then if, if uh, health inspectors can uh, make contact, so if it's businesses that are open when perhaps they shouldn't be or whatever, um, the health inspectors try to sort of take off whatever they can in relation to that. But of course, there's always, uh, depending on the time of day or the situation, there's stuff that filters down uh, to police. So we're getting about 10 a day that we're looking at. And it, it spans the, the range there from, uh, as I mentioned, businesses being open to social distancing to information regarding folks who should be in isolation that aren't in isolation. And so we're responding to those things. We, uh, for the most part in Calgary, have seen uh, Calgarians actually following uh, fairly well. Um, and of course, it's always our preference to uh, begin with prevention and education and, and enforcement would be the last tool. We've given out a handful of tickets, I think the number seven right now for various different uh, offenses. And I think it's about sussing out when the officers go to figure out you know, who, who didn't know and who doesn't care. And I think if you were in the latter category, you'd be more apt to receive a ticket. Are you seeing any drug or alcohol-related issues kind of popping up right now, too, as more people are home and perhaps have a little more time on their hands? Yeah, I think probably the the increase that we're seeing that's more visible, um, Sue, would be uh, the stuff that's uh, in the community. So uh, probably with some of the vulnerable population and in some of the areas, you know, transit facilities and, and that sort of thing, we're seeing a little bit more of that disorder focus there. And you can imagine everybody's life has been kind of turned upside down, and I think that's also true for folks uh, from the marginalized populations. And so um, we're working with the city and transit to try to um, get out into those locations and just thinking where might we see, like when we have weekends coming up, where might we see gatherings of people or where might there be issues um, arising? And then trying to be in those places uh, before uh, issues happen and uh, prevent that as opposed to waiting until after there's complaints and dealing with it that way. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for what you're doing, guys. Uh, have a great day. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. 642 on the morning news. Uh, we are joined now by Global Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini with the latest coronavirus update from south of the border. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. We've been talking a lot about the numbers, the number of cases and the number of uh, deaths. Uh, now we're going to be talking about the number, which will be zero, that the U.S. is going to be funding for the World Health Organization announced by Donald Trump that they're putting the brakes on on the, that uh, contribution. Why now and what is the reason behind this, Reggie? Well, look, the president has taken a target to a number of international agencies under the United Nations brand for the last couple of years. This is no surprise, but the president feels that the World Health Organization didn't sound the alarm fast enough when it came to this coronavirus discovery in China at the end of December, the early part of January, despite the fact that the WHO declared this a health crisis at the end of January significantly earlier than the United States did. The president feels that uh, the WHO simply too friendly with China, that they uh, accepted China's transparency too early without giving it any kind of scrutiny. And the president is using this as a way to deflect blame for his own administration's shortcomings by trying to put the fault on somebody else for the sheer number of deaths that are popping up, not only around the world, but growing in the United States as well. And that's what I was going to say, Reggie. It feels like this is a bit of a ploy because Donald Trump is on a bit of a hot seat, absolutely, in the U.S. and in other countries as people look and say, you know, it's obviously not his fault, but that he didn't sound the alarm quickly enough and he's blaming it on the world health organization 
Yeah, and we saw this play out during that wild press conference earlier this week where he really got into it with some members of the media when they questioned him when they said, what were you doing in February? This was uh, declared an emergency in January. You put that travel ban in effect for China, which wasn't full but was was helpful for the U.S. Uh, and then things started to ramp up in March. But in February, the president said uh, that you know he just was continuing to work to stop the crisis despite the fact that he was holding these, uh, these uh, uh, campaign rallies over the month, gathering thousands of people together as this virus was running around and as opposed to taking responsibility for what may have happened in the early phases this is simply the fault of the prior administration it's the fault uh, of people who are around him uh, in his administration and it's now the fault of the world health organization but not of his own where are we uh, now with the power struggle between uh, the federal government and uh, the states because uh, early this week it continued mm-hmm. and i wonder if we have resolution now who will have well, the ultimate so the president- say yeah, the president yesterday kind of conceded saying, look, the, the states are going to be able to decide when they open up their governments, uh, mostly because it's in the Constitution that they can do that. But he also kind of slid in there a if certain states don't go along with my plan, we'll see what happens down the line, noting that he may try to go after them in a way that could impact them if they're up for reelection later this year. At the end of the day, though, there are a number of states that are working as packs together to try and see how they could reopen their economies on a much slower basis than what the president wants. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo working with uh, a good number of the northeastern governors to see how they can get, you know, 15% of America's population in that pocket of the country outside of their homes a little earlier on the west coast governor gavin newsom working with western governors where california says look when things are ready to reopen it's going to be a while from now but something like a restaurant we're going to have the number of people that can go inside you may need to get your temperature checked we may have to put paper menus so that we don't have uh, plastic menus letting the virus spread this is a very slow and methodical uh, process that's playing out but is likely not going to happen as early as president trump wants uh, on may 1st just when he thought it couldn't get any more contentious it does reggie you know i thought it was interesting too i heard there were a couple of media outlets that uh, t- uh, pulled away from yesterday's pandemic discussion with the uh, the president because they started playing that weird promo video in the midst of it all yeah look this is kind of what the president's been doing remember he's on a campaign we're in the middle of, of an election but he's not able to be on the campaign trail so he's using these daily briefings as an opportunity to press a message across to his audience that may be watching uh and you know playing that you know what felt like like a propaganda video uh, of the president kind of bashing the media and explaining all the wonderful things that he says that he's done during this response. It was too much for, for networks, and networks have been bowing out. But this is something that's been going on for a couple of weeks. Networks will drop in when Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, or the CDC comes up. They'll take the president for a couple of minutes, and then they'll bow out, put a chyron up on the bottom of the screen to fact check what the president said before they left. Uh, and, you know, there are a growing number of people who say, well, you know, how are we going to get the message if you're not airing these broadcasts? But cable networks are saying, look, if the president's spewing factual inaccuracies, we need to be here to be able to fact check what he's saying, because in a pandemic like this, the wrong information can be deadly. Mm -hmm. Thanks for your time this morning, Reggie. Thank you. That is Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. 609 on your Wednesday morning, reports of domestic violence increasing around the world in the wake of the pandemic. So how can you help if you think someone is in a situation where they might be in harm? We're joined now by international speaker and best-selling author of A Good Wife, Escaping the Life I Never Chose. Samra Zafar is with us this morning. Good morning, Samra. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Such an important topic right now. I know we're seeing increasing numbers and it's scary, no doubt, for you who've been in that situation. So what should we be doing? What should we be looking for? You know, there's a lot of signs that uh, that uh, and, uh, that are 
that domestic violence is rising. There's been a lot of reports, um, and there's a number of reasons for that. You know, one is definitely uh, isolation, and isolation is an abuser's best friend, and right now it's being handed to abusers on a silver platter. There's lack of financial resources, shelters are full, and they can't put extra beds in shelters because uh, of social distancing. And I'm hearing now from people who are working in the violence against women sector, they're coming up with some creative solutions to partner with hotels and use empty hotel rooms and things to put up women. But the problem is that the calls that women can make now to us helplines and shelters is, uh, are the number of calls are also going down because they don't have the space and the availability mm. to make those calls. So on one hand, domestic violence is rising, and on the other hand, traditional help is no longer available, which is really important now for community members and individuals to step in and uh, check in on people around you. You know, one in three women in Canada suffers from domestic violence, and that's an underreported stat, and now it's even growing due to the pandemic. So uh, just, you know, if you suspect that somebody in your circle, in your workplace, in your family is affected, just give them a call, um, schedule a Zoom chat, uh, get some code words going. One of my uh, friends uh, put it out on our Facebook that, you know, um, if, if a woman reaches out to me inquiring for skincare, that's like a code word uh, for me to be able okay. to call the police on their behalf. So there's, we, we'll have to think outside of the box. We'll have to be a little bit creative because there are women who are stuck in those situations of varying degrees. And um, the worst thing is that they feel isolated and they feel alone and unseen and that no one cares. And it's difficult because not only isolated, and when you talk about these women in these situations, often there are kids involved and that adds a whole different dimension, doesn't it? Absolutely. And uh, I can speak to that as a survivor and a mother and uh, the effect on children and their mental health is absolutely detrimental uh, just from uh, being exposed to the family violence. And if there is if it if it's at a level where it's dangerous to the mother, like or uh, the health or the safety or the li- uh, it's, it's life threatening situation, then the kids are automatically caught in the mix. And uh, uh, it's just ex- extremely traumatic. So that's why we have to be super vigilant about this. And it really is important, you're right, to talk to our friends, to keep our eyes open with our family and that sort of thing. What is happening in terms of, uh, you know, women's shelters with this pandemic? Are, are they Are they still open as they were before or are there other alternates going on? Uh, they are open, uh, definitely, but they're full. They have no space. Just a few days ago, uh, a woman reached out to me on Twitter and um, through our DM chat, she was telling me that I've called every uh, every shelter in the area and all of them are full. And traditionally, like uh, I, um, a friend of mine is the CEO of a shelter and she said, traditionally, you know, usually what we would do is if we're over capacity, we'll just put some extra beds or we'll, you know, accommodate for a while, but they can't do that now either because of social distancing in place. And for a woman who's stuck in that situation, she can't just go to a friend or fam- a friend or family's house. She can't just, you know, um, uh, pick up her bags and leave. Like, where would she go? Where would she stay? And uh, the pandemic is giving abusers an extra excuse to control the finances because mm-hmm. finances are tight, so they need to control the purse strings. Um, so it's really up... We'll have to think outside of the box. And the importance of communities always there but right now it's even more increasingly important for uh, us as 
friends and family and community members to reach out and check in. If you haven't heard from somebody, if you haven't, if there's someone in your neighborhood who you've been suspecting might be in a tricky situation, now is not the time to just say, hey, it's their family issue, let them deal with it. I shouldn't meddle in because it could cost someone um, her life. What can we do if we don't know anybody in that situation but want to help out the situation? Maybe you know, the shelters in our region. Is there is there a way that uh, the outsiders can help uh, the uh, shelters do their job at this point? Uh, there's a lot of uh, things you can do, and shelters are just one part of the puzzle, right? Shelters are uh, there for accommodation, and yes, they have some peripheral services, but there's a lot more, like even just putting statuses on your social media uh, with resource uh, hotlines or numbers to call. Like if you're experiencing this situation or if, if you think this might help, here's a free number you can call. Because the biggest gap there is the gap of awareness, and a lot of women in those situations aren't even aware that there are helplines out there, that there are resources out there. You can actually attend uh, different sessions or like watch videos. Um, I was stuck in an abusive marriage for 10 years before I realized that I was even being abused. And now that I work in this sector and I go across the country doing this work, um, so many times I hear from women, uh, from people who work in that sector and who actually like, you know, for example, there's a, the main uh, helpline in Ontario is Assaulted Women's Helpline. And one time the CEO said to me that uh, Sam, the no- highest number of calls we get are from women who are asking us, well, he's not really hitting me. I don't know if it's abuse. I don't know if I'm being abused. So a lot of women aren't even aware that there are resources available. There's a big gap of knowledge and awareness, especially in women who've been sheltered or who are from immigrant or newcomer backgrounds, mm-hmm. it's even worse. So that's why like, we need to do all we can to raise awareness at this point. So even putting it up on your social media, one thing I've started to do is run weekly webinar circles. So every Every Monday night at 8 p.m. Uh, Toronto time, uh, I run a virtual support group uh, where women can join in. It's free. You can join in anonymously, and I share a lot of tips and resources. And like two nights ago, the topic was uh, recognizing emotional and psychological abuse and what can you do if it's happening to you and what can you do to help someone if somebody in your uh, circle is experiencing it. And I've got other uh, sessions coming up. Like next week, I have a couple of family lawyers coming in and talk about family law under domestic violence and what that looks like. So there's a, I think our job, first of all, as community members is to raise awareness and uh, try to fill the knowledge gap because ultimately knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And the more knowledge there is out there, uh, the more uh, the easier it is for women to be able to stand up for themselves and walk away. Samra, thank you very much for uh, sharing your message this morning. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is Samra Zafar, international speaker and best-selling author of A Good Wife, Escaping the Life I Never Chose. And just a reminder, uh, Alberta's one line for sexual violence is 1-866-402-8000. 866-402-8000. Available to you 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., more than 170 languages. So there are ways to reach out and help if you're in one of those kind of situations.